You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Judgment. Hello dear listeners, it's great to be with you again and to share the hope and good news of God's Word with you in these programs called Give Me the Bible. I hope you've been blessed by God this last week. If you can hear my voice today, that is evidence of one big blessing. It means you're still alive. It's good to recognise that Every heartbeat, every breath we take is a blessing. If God decided to disallow us one more heartbeat or one more breath, there's nothing we could do about it. As human beings, we tend to think that we're the top of all life forms on planet Earth and are therefore pretty smart. But in reality, we are subject to higher powers. When I was a child at primary school, each Monday morning before lessons began for the day, there was an assembly. At the assembly, the Australian flag was raised, and then all the children in the assembly were required to say in unison uh, a pledge as Australians. And the pledge went like this, I am an Australian. I love my country, I salute her flag, I honour her queen, I promise to obey her laws. Since those times, various people have criticised this pledge, saying it was brainwashing, or was too much like what happened in Nazi Germany or in other countries under communism, and as a result, the pledge was dropped. But the pledge highlights that all of us are subjects of one kingdom or another. As Australian citizens, and as a condition for the privilege of living in this country, we not only have certain rights, but we ourselves must comply with certain expectations and laws. The laws are simply an expression of the conditions set by our legislators in order to provide provide fairness, freedom and peace for all the inhabitants. I enjoy living in Australia, this country which is often described as the lucky country, and I agree with Peter Allen who sings that beautiful song, I'll always call Australia home. It's no wonder that many people from foreign countries especially where there is war or oppression, want to live in our country. They try to enter Australia either legally or illegally. Some come as refugees. We might complain about the influx of refugees, but I feel fairly confident that none of us who have enjoyed life here would like to have to live in Iraq, Sudan, Syria or Afghanistan 
and similar places where life is so cheap. But do you realise that as Australians we're subjects of the Queen, that is, Queen Elizabeth II, the monarch of the British Empire? As subjects, that means that she, the Queen, rules over us. We, as far as rights are concerned, are her inferiors, and the rights we have for freedom and property are given only as a result of her good will. If the Queen decided to confiscate your house or any other property you own, there is nothing you could do about it. By law, what we own belongs to the Queen because we are her subjects. Now if your neighbour wants to buy your property to build a shed, can you stop him? Of course you can. He is on the same authority level as you. But it's different with a higher authority. The Crown, representing the Queen, has the right to compulsorily acquire your house or land to, say, build a new road or a railway or something familiar, like that. If the Crown wants something that's yours, there's nothing you can do to stop it because you are a subject of the Queen. Fortunately, this does not happen too often, but it does and it can. All this tells me that we are subject to higher authorities. And in another sense, we belong to other higher powers. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, there is this statement. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Despite one's nationality, the Bible here points out that we human beings a subject of even higher powers. Now how can that be, you may ask? Many people think that they are answerable only to themselves. But this idea is really a delusion. You see, no one is self-made. Every human has a mother, and we were given life through our parents. If we came into being on our own, we would not be responsible to anyone except ourselves. But in view of the fact that the only reason we have life is that it was given to us from someone else, we, therefore, are responsible to whoever gave us that life. And perhaps that's why the Sixth Commandment says, Honour your father and your mother. But from where did our parents get their lives? From their parents, of course. And their parents? From their parents. And so it goes back and back through the generations to where life originally came from, to God, the life giver. Jesus was subject to his parents. In Luke 2 verse 51, it's recorded about Jesus when he was approximately 12. 
And it says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. He was subject unto his parents, that is. Everyone on planet Earth who has ever lived is subject to the life-giver, God. If you've been listening to these programs, you may remember that God's plan for human beings to live a happy, healthy and holy existence has been disrupted. An enemy, Satan, came into this world and set up his kingdom based on deceit and in opposition to all that is good. And by committing sin, human beings automatically give their allegiance to Satan and, as a result, become his subjects. Satan wormed his way into this world and humanity has suffered severely ever since. The Bible tells us the results. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You could say that means that all human beings, by doing what is sinful, have subjected themselves to another power, the kingdom of Satan. But of course, God didn't just leave it there. Jesus Christ came down to this earth on a rescue mission, which cost him his life. Jesus came in order to free people from the kingdom of Satan and in order to set up what was God's original plan for human beings. People were created to belong to the kingdom of God where they would be happy, healthy, holy and free. So, as human beings, we may know will belong to one kingdom or the other, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. But ultimately, however, because God is the creator, the life giver, we are answerable to him. And if we are answerable to him, there must be some process, some kind of judgment, in order to determine what will be our ultimate and final destiny. The alternatives are simply these. Remain as a subject of the kingdom of Satan. Your destiny will be eternal death. Become a subject of the kingdom of God. Your destiny will be eternal life. So, how will it be determined whether you or I will have eternal life or eternal death? There has to be a judgment, and that judgment will be presided over by the only one qualified to give a fair and unbiased decision, and that's God. In Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, after advising people not to pass judgment on each other, the Bible says, But because of your stubbornness 
and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. That means that every single person who has ever lived will be subjected to God's judgment and the outcome of that judgment will be dependent on what they have done. If they have repented of their sins and have accepted the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and have lived their lives according to God's will, there is nothing to fear from the judgment. On the other hand, if people have rejected God's kind offer and remained in the same sinful condition without any change, they continue as subject of Satan's kingdom and they will be sentenced to eternal death. In the same chapter, Romans 2 and in verse 16, the Bible says this, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as the gospel declares. So then, you and I will be judged to determine our final destiny. The Bible is quite clear on that point. 2 Corinthians 5.10 makes it abundantly plain. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. There's no slipping away unnoticed into eternal life and into God's kingdom of glory through any backstairs way. Everyone will be subject to scrutiny. Everyone's case will be tried. Everyone will be judged. And for everyone, the sentence will be carried out. It's good to know that for those who have accepted God's offer of grace, our judge will be the same as our advocate, that is, our defence attorney. Who will that be? It will be Jesus. And with him as our judge and our advocate, there is nothing to fear. The sentence will be a favourable one. We'll have a short break and go on afterwards.
If you're in doubt that there will be such a judgment, I want to share with you several other Bible statements. Matthew 12:36. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders. He says, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. He was pointing out that there will be a judgment, that it was in the future, and people would be accountable even for the things they have said. In Acts 24 verse 25, the Apostle Paul as a prisoner was given the opportunity to speak to Governor Felix. The Bible tells us, As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Paul made it clear that there would be a judgment, and even people in high positions such as Governor Felix would have to answer for their actions. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14, the very last verse of the book, a warning is given. It says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You see, nothing is hidden from God. We may get away with bad things we've done and hide them from people, but we're not able to hide anything from God. Everything, every action and every deed will make us accountable one way or the other. Probably this may make some of you feel afraid, and that's fair enough, because we need to be afraid because some of, some of us have done some really bad things. But the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's found in 1 John 1.9. And that's really good news. It's good news for you and me and anybody who goes to God for forgiveness. It's a guarantee. The judgment will not be a problem for those who have received God's forgiveness, God's mercy. Those people will be safe and will be given eternal life. In Matthew seven twenty one to 23 Jesus presents a scenario which is also to do with the judgment. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is serious business. Jesus refers to that day, the day of the future judgment. The statement also shows that he will be involved in the judgment as judge. But the very important thing to note is that some people make it their business in life to try to score up points. They seem to have the idea 
that the judgment is something like an old-fashioned set of scales with good deeds on one side and bad deeds on the other. They think that if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, they should have enough points to be given eternal life. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus calls them evildoers, and they sent away. No favourable judgment for them. But wait, what was the critical factor? They had done good things, good works, but something was missing. Jesus said, I never knew you. So this begs the question, how come Jesus our judge knows some of us and not others? Does he know you? Have you come to him and asked forgiveness for your wrongdoing? Have you taken him into your confidence and committed your life to him? Do you pray to him? Have you asked him for anything you really need? Are you living your life in harmony with his will? In other words, have you knocked on his door to let him know you are there? I believe that those Jesus knows are primarily those who've gone to him asking for forgiveness and being in communication with him. In another passage in Matthew, this one in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, is presented another judgment scenario. It says, When the Son of Man, that's the name Jesus gave himself, comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you have blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When we see, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It goes on, and Jesus addresses the other group, the goats. He points out that they did not care for the needy, and in the end, these people go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So what have we learned today? Firstly, there will be a judgment for every person. 
Secondly, the judgment will be based on what we have done and said. Thirdly, the sentences will be either eternal life or eternal death. Fourthly, the judgment holds no fear for those who have accepted the offer of God's forgiveness through Jesus. Fifthly, Jesus will be both the judge and advocate for those people who honour him. Sixth, there will be no favouritism, as God knows all the facts. Seven, those God knows will be saved. Those he doesn't know will be condemned. And eighthly, one of the criteria in favour of those who will receive eternal life is that they have lived unselfishly, being kind to and helping those in need. Well, that's about it for today. My personal feeling about the judgment is to bring it on. The sooner it happens, the sooner Jesus will come again. And when he does, it, as it says in Revelation 22:12, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So my friends, what about you? Are you afraid or are you happy about the judgment? In reality, the outcome of the judgment is all up to you, whether you accept the grace of God or whether you reject it. I hope you will become right with God and stay right with him. And on that great day when we are given a place in God's eternal kingdom, I hope to meet you there. In the meantime, I wish you happiness, God's blessings and peace.